Hey, I'm Corey. And I'm Lori. And this is the Nourish Circle Podcast. Join the band as we gather in our Nourish Circle and talk all things weight-inclusive, haze, non-diet, and whatever else is nourishing us. Today's episode is brought to you by our Join the Band Teespring store. Click the link in our show notes to check out our badass non-diet dietitian merchandise. Welcome back to the Nourish Circle podcast. Today we are speaking with Lindsay Krasna, who is a registered dietitian, certified eating disorders dietitian, and accredited professional supervisor through the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals. She is the founder of LK Nutrition, which is a non-diet, body-inclusive group nutrition counseling private practice in New York City that specializes in the treatment of eating disorders, disordered eating, and body image concerns. Lindsay is passionate about helping her clients cultivate more peaceful relationships with food, movement, and their bodies. She has a special interest in the individual and collective healing power of collaborative relationships. In addition to her private practice work, Lindsay serves as a New York City Chapter Ambassador for the International Federation of Eating Disorder Dietitians, an organization dedicated to improving the quality of care of individuals with eating disorders by improving access to eating disorder dietitians. Prior to beginning her nutrition career, Lindsay was a competitive basketball player. She completed at the collegiate level for Cornell University, followed by a professional stint in Israel. I feel really fortunate that I got to meet Lindsay last year in New York City at a workshop that we were doing, and I was so impressed with just how warm and open and collaborative that Lindsay was in that space, um, as well as having been able to just keep in touch with her a little bit since that time. We speak today about collaborative work, working with other dietitians, and how it can just foster that sense of community that I think is really, really helpful when sometimes we feel a little bit isolated in the areas that we are, are working in. We hear a little bit about Lindsay's story um, coming into dietetics, as well as um, her passion for um, dietetics in working with eating disorders, I feel really, really comes through in today's episode. So I hope you enjoy listening to Lindsay as much as I enjoy talking to her. Enjoy our episode today. Hello, Lindsay. Welcome to the Nourish Circle podcast. Hi, Lori. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you on today. Um, we were just chatting a little bit of, offline that it's a yucky, rainy Monday, so it's kind of nice to have this conversation to kind of bring some sunshine into the day, I think. Definitely. Yes. I am very glad that this is a planned indoor activity that, uh, <laughs> yes, gives me a good excuse to to stay and stay, be comfy, um, despite the yuckiness outside. So yes, yes. I have a nice big cof- cup of coffee, so we can stay uh, in the chat. <laughs> yes. Yes. So essential. <laughs> totally. Especially for me. Um, <laughs> so one thing we like to do at, on the nurse circle is kind of just talk about any privileges or identities that you would like to share with the listeners before we get started into our conversation and also any paradigms that you like to work from. Yeah. Um, well, firstly, I just wanted to say that I really like this question um, because I think it's something that, um, you know, can give context, especially in a conversation, you know, between two people with two different backgrounds. Um, and yeah, you know, I've just been thinking about this more and more for myself. Um, just, you know, how my 
identities and privileges, you know, kind of intersect with my work and I mean with my life, but in particular probably for this conversation with my work. Um, and, and yeah, I'm happy to share what they are. And I also kind of have been thinking about like how they intersect in like a 3D way. So not just kind of like what my identities are and the privileges that come along with that, but kind of how that looks um, and how that's affected like my career trajectory mm -hmm. in particular. Um, so yeah, I'll just, I can just start with the identities that I'm um, that I'm going to share. So I'm white, thin, able-bodied, cis, educated, financially well-off, relatively young Jewish woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like the relatively young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like, you know, um, mm -hmm. little disclaimer. <laughs> it's, it's all relative, but yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so those are kind of... Um, some identities that um, that are part of me, and um, you know, I think I've been thinking about like, um, you know, yeah, like I said, how they've affected my you know career trajectory, and if it's okay with you, I can kind of share um, oh, how sure. a couple of those in particular, yeah, uh, have, have intersected. Um, but yeah, I think you know, for one, um, just with the like body privileges I have. Um, I think I've had like more career opportunities than perhaps someone with less body privilege. Um, yeah. And just like, as an example of that, I remember a potential employer when I was interviewing for jobs, um, after I graduated from grad school saying in an interview that they were more apt to hire me because I quote, have the look. <gasps> Seriously? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was also, it was at actually interviewing for a position that was like within a gym. Uh, so I can imagine, you know, there was more kind of emphasis on, um, I don't know, physical presentation there, but mm -hmm. yeah, I think that was the most like explicitly biased. Um, yeah. yeah. Response to my body in a work setting that I'd ever received. Um, can I ask what was your response? Like, how did it, you feel when that question came out? You know, yeah, that's a great question. Um, in the moment, I think I felt, oh gosh, I even, I hate even admitting this, but I think there was a part of me that was honestly like prideful. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that's really painful to say because I, I don't like that I reacted that way. I mean, I think it was partly that, but also partly um, confused and um, and and uncomfortable too. It was also the comment was made by like a cis white male. I think it felt yeah. a bit objectifying as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think. And then I think also it's funny. I hadn't even thought about that comment for a while. Um, and then when I was like thinking about examples for this interview, it came up into my head. And it's interesting that I didn't even think about it. So you know, so much, like, I think it just kind of like was like a fleeting thought and quick reaction that I had. And, um, or, you know, it was a fleeting comment in my mind, but, um, in reality, it's actually like has a lot of weight behind that, um, yeah. that type of comment. So it, yeah. it's interesting. I think it's actually very pervasive in our profession as dietitians, um, yeah. that I think, 
I, at least I know going through school, I felt like my body needed to look a certain way in order to do this for people to quote unquote, trust that I knew what I was doing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and that comment kind of just solidified. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. And I was thinking about that too. Like, I think that, that, um, you know, even just when I was contemplating careers, like perhaps other people who haven't had, um, you know, the same body privilege or maybe have, you know, thin privilege or whatever, but are, um, you know, I mean, weight changes, you know, throughout our lifetimes. And so there's this kind of like ongoing pressure, I think, um, you know, to sort of like look a certain way in this field. And, um, you know, I think when I was questioning or when I was considering like job, you know, future job um, opportunities that would match what, you know, I was interested in, I never, you know, I've, I've always been, um, been thin and I, in particular, and I've never, you know, really question like if I quote belonged in the field, mm -hmm. um, in the way that I, I can imagine, you know, others who, um, didn't have some of these body privileges would question. And that just, that sucks because <laughs> we does. all belong. Yes, yeah. I know. Yeah. I know there's some people, um, being much more vocal about that in our profession, but I still think we have so far to go. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for sharing that and the story to go with it i think that that it, it does prove like just the the meaning behind you know some of us that do have that thin privilege and body privilege that um we do need to be aware that it's out there i guess totally yeah yeah go ahead. um so i was thinking that um i met you in new york this past spring when we were both at um i don't even remember the title of the workshop now um <laughs> To be honest with you, having tough conversations. It's funny because I, yeah, it's funny you say that because I remember when we were going around in the beginning of the workshop saying why we were there. I think you went first and you first, I remember you shared that you didn't remember the title of the workshop and I was like, oh my gosh, thank God, me too. <laughs> totally. Like, I think neither of us, we just really That's loved right. Fiona Sutherland and we're like, we're here for you. <laughs> totally. It was, oh, you're going to New York. That's not far from where I live. I can get there. <laughs> yeah. And I totally, I think right up until the day I was like, oh yeah, what are we learning today? <laughs> um, but it was tough conversations now that I'm mm -hmm. thinking about it. Um, and so it was, it was interesting because I got to kind of meet you where you live and you have a practice in New York City and we chatted a little bit about it after but I was wondering if you share a little bit about your practice and what you do and how you have built that uh, sure oh so many great questions all layered into one Sorry. <laughs> um, no no it's it's great um yeah and um yeah so you so my practice is called LK nutrition um Yes, based in the great city of New York. And um, I didn't answer your question prior, but this kind of goes along with describing my practice. So the paradigms through which we work are health at every size, intuitive eating, non-diet approach. Um, and I would also say we're striving to practice through an anti-oppression slash social justice lens. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the... Um, the general practice description. And then it's made up of myself and two associates, Ashley Perone and Kimmy Singh, um, who I believe Ashley was already on board when you met 
um, when you and I met, we were at the workshop together and Kimmy was just kind of getting um, onboarded. So yeah, so you got to meet the whole team. Yeah. And um, yeah, and we all, you know, we all specialize in eating disorders and disordered eating, but we each have our own kind of mini, um, you know, specializations slash personality slash flair. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so Ashley specializes in working with kids and teens and families. Um, and she also works with adults too. Um, and then Kimmy has a specialty in PCOS and a special interest um, in weight stigma as well. So... And then what do you specialize in? Oh, yeah, right. Um, I So I'm, I actually just specialize in eating disorders and disordered eating. Okay. Um, yeah. And do you see mainly adults? I do, yeah, yeah. I've seen teens. Um, I Earlier in my career or in my private practice, I should say, I started out with um, seeing teens as young as like 13. And I kind of decided after some time that, I just, um, it's, it really takes a special person to work with teens. Um, and it's not that I don't like teens. I just found that the work is, you know, it's more kind of involved with the family and, um, yeah, it just, it wasn't kind of nourishing me in the same way that working with adults was. So, um, so thankfully, you know, Ashley takes the, the bulk of those cases and, um, I'm very grateful to her for that. (laughs) Um, so I know our system is different in Canada than the States. So just as a kind of follow up, um, when you are doing eating disorder treatment, like in your practice, is there, um, psychology that they see outside of you and you kind of coordinate care that way? Or how do you, do you know what I mean? Like manage, um, the other like prongs, I guess, of treatment. Yeah. So the way it works, I think it depends in the States, like on the setting. Um, So like when I worked in a treatment, in treatment centers for eating disorders, the, the kind of multidisciplinary um, staff was all in-house and, you know, in private practice, the way that it works is, um, you know, clients will come to us and if they already have like a therapist or a doctor that they're working with and, that's great. And we just, you know, kind of collaborate from there. Um, but if they don't have a team, generally speaking, you know, we'll kind of help facilitate that. Um, so yeah, so I really, um, try to, you know, keep a a strong network of like-minded psychotherapists and, um, psychiatrists, doctors, things like that. So that if a client's coming in, you know, without that support that we, you know, can help connect them with those services. Mm -hmm. That's what I was thinking, because you are working from that social justice lens and then health at every size and non-diet. And my personal feeling, and maybe your area is different, but there's when we get out into psychotherapy and and doctors, we don't always have that background or knowledge or that paradigm. And it, it can be difficult, I'm guessing, to work with the clients one way and then have them go see their therapist and kind of some of that unravel a little bit. Yes, it is. Yeah, it can be a big challenge for sure. Um, I mean, I think one fortunate thing about, you know, having been in private practice for a few years and having really put a lot of time and energy into, you know, building connections um, 
is that I've been able to, I think like a lot of my referrals now for new clients come from practitioners who are, you know, already kind of aligned or health at every size oriented. Um, so the number of cases where we're kind of butting heads or practicing in completely different frameworks has, I think, reduced over the years. Um, but it definitely still happens all the time. And yeah, it, it can be a challenge. I think, you know, I try to, though, you know, frame, I mean, firstly, I, I try and I know this has been an ongoing thing with Kimmy and Ashley where, you know, we really try to be as transparent up front before a client mm -hmm. comes in the door with, you know, what our philosophy is. We now have like a consent form that clients who, you know, aren't familiar with health, health at every size, like have to sign um, if they want to, not that they have to sign it because <laughs> we definitely respect any, anyone's autonomy, but if they would want to work with us, you know, so that we make sure that they're informed. Um, and yeah. And, and, you know, if their respective treatment provider um, isn't aligned, you know, I try not to kind of talk about our philosophy as right or wrong, but just, you know, explaining the reasons why we practice in the way that we do and, um, you know, allowing the client to kind of make a decision to, you know, work with the team that feels right to them. And, you know, some people choose to stay with their other practitioner, even if they're not, you know, aligned with us and, and find that they're still getting certain things maybe out of the work. Um, but yeah, it, it does become, it becomes a challenge and it's messy and um, it's an ongoing you know, I think, um, situation to navigate as, you know, more and more practitioners, um, yeah, adopt, you know, a health at every size yeah. alignment, hopefully. Yeah. Yes, it would be nice. Um, and then, so I guess you, you have that culture uh, within your practice of being health at every size. And um, like, I know Kimmy through ASDA. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's how I originally met her. But um, I'm just wondering, like, how difficult was it for you to, or was it difficult at all, I guess, to create mm -hmm. that culture of a, like a non-diet, um, haze-informed um, practice? Because um, I know, like, our education really doesn't give us much of that. So when people are first looking for work or coming out into the workforce, it, they're not aligned right away, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the um, benefit to me starting off solo really allowed me to get more firmly rooted in working in the way that I felt was most, you know, most ethically based before hiring anyone else. And so I think that that was really helpful, you know, versus if I was kind of still figuring things out and hiring people at the same time, I think yeah. that would have been, yeah, really messy. Um, and perhaps, yeah, not good for anyone, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, so I, I think doing the work myself, you know, just through my own supervision and delving into, you know, trainings and resources and stuff like that, um, and being really firm in, in, um, yeah, what I believed helped me kind of figure out who was going to be a good match for expanding the practice when it came time for me to think about that. So, you know, with Ashley, who was my first um, associate that I hired, she, you know, somehow she's just, just a, a gem, but she came in um, having had 
really great training and experience in her internship um, with a practice that was health at every size aligned and um, also happened to specialize in, you know, child feeding um, through like the Ellen Satter Division of Responsibility wow. model. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so That's great. Um, I, yeah. It was just totally lucky. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, when she came in, it was just like a really natural fit. Um, and, you know, but we had, you know, different kind of learning experiences um, through, you know, just in continuing to kind of firm things up. Um, with regards to, you know, how we practice, like I mentioned, like with the consent form, I never used to have that with when it was just me solo. And then when she came on, we had kind of a situation where we realized like that would be really helpful um, just to kind of like be more transparent across the board. And um, yeah, so, so I think, you know, the culture was perhaps, like the groundwork was laid for the practice by me, but, um, you know, Ashley came in and just like so naturally kind of filled, um, this new niche and, and added her own gifts and, and the same thing with Kimmy and they were both already not only aligned, but like they were teaching me stuff, you know, so, and continue to. Yeah. So I think if anything, it's just, um, it's been a team effort. That's wonderful. It, it sounds so lovely to have a practice kind of firmly rooted in your beliefs and your yes. way of practice. Yeah. Um, so since you work predominantly with eating disorders, um, I know there's a bunch of different modalities out there and I've had questions from um, new grads and, and um, actually people just kind of getting into eating disorder treatment about different modalities and how they align with health at every size. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just wondering if you could speak a little bit to the types of treatment modalities that you work with that you find fit into this paradigm. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. Can I ask for, I'm curious about the students that you said are interested in different modalities and how they align. Do you have any specific modalities in mind or... Um, I think um, one question I had was around um, like family-based therapy, um, which I think would be more, I guess, a question to ask Ashley, um, (laughs) since she does most of the kids stuff. But um, even when it comes to like meal planning and, Mm. um, and who's in charge of feeding Mm -hmm. um, and that like, I know there's some talk about, do you go into intuitive eating or how soon do you go into intuitive eating? Mm -hmm. Um, Which I think um, I always try and say, you know, it's a different, it's kind of different for everybody, but I'm just kind of wondering how you manage that type of thing. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's really helpful. Um, Yeah. I would say that, you know, Firstly, every case is different, um, and I think. Well, I'll just speak firstly to like FBT because, like you said, I'm. I, it's not something I generally you do. And for those who don't know what FBT is, yeah, family-based therapy. Or I think the Maudsley approach is another yeah. name for it, which involves usually family members taking the responsibility for feeding, yeah. um, feeding the the person who's recovering. Um, and eventually the responsibility for feeding gets transferred over to the person um, who's recovering. But yeah, at first it's just through um, like all of the the portions and the um, meals are all kind of done through the family. And 
I mean, I think w whether it's with that or whether it's, you know, meal planning with an individual who's an adult and just needs some, um, you know, structure or guidance, it, it doesn't have to, um, you know, be mutually exclusive with intuitive eating or health at every size at all. I think I see intuitive eating and, and health at every size as more like umbrella paradigms. And then, you know, within that, there are different, um, yeah, modalities that might be needed to kind of help get someone um, to a place of better health. And I use that term in quotes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think the one I probably can speak to more because it comes up more in my work is like how to, how to like meal planning or like a, just a meal plan in general intersect with like intuitive eating. And firstly, I think intuitive eating often gets talked about in such a polarized way. Like it's either you're eating intuitively or you're not eating intuitively. Yes. <laughs> and um, it's much more nuanced than that. And also, you know, for anyone that's read the book, which I would highly encourage one to if they're in the field or, um, you know, speaking about intuitive eating, it's important to have read it. And there's 10 <laughs> principles. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to be working or yeah, to be kind of integrating the principles um, at different stages of recovery. And, you know, there are some that are a little, little bit more complicated or need to be like maybe um, considered in context with where someone is in their recovery. Like, for example, um, with like respecting one's fullness, um, like that's going to be a little bit different for someone who is following like a recovery-based meal plan because they're, you know, going to be, um, they're, they're, fullness cues are still um, being skewed perhaps by their history of restrictive or disordered eating, whether it's not restrictive, but um, yeah. And so they might not be able to, you know, rely on those cues, but there's still, um, you know, a practice of identifying what fullness might feel like um, that can start at, you know, any stage. Um, so yeah, I think, um, you know, and, and similar like with medical nutrition therapy interventions, like there's, it doesn't have to be black or white. Like there are um, a lot of like, there's, there's evidence-based interventions that, you know, one can take to adjust their eating to help with a certain medical condition. But, um, you know, that doesn't have to be kind of exclusive or yeah, mutually exclusive with trusting one's cues or, you know, listening to one's body. I think it's more of an and type of um, yeah. approach. Yeah. I think that's, that's wonderful the way you worded that. There's just so much gray. Um, yeah. And I do think we live in the black and white a lot. Yes. Especially um, in the nutrition field. Yes. Um, oh, so much so. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a little bit earlier about, um, you know, just building that kind of sense of community and um, colleague support. And, um, and I know you had mentioned uh, at the workshop that we ran that that was important to you as well. So how are you fostering that sense of community in and about, I guess, eating disorders and nutrition in the New York area? Yeah. I love that question too, because yeah, I think community is so important, not just, you know, I think, I think for multiple reasons for our, our own nourishment, <laughs> you know, working 
in the eating disorder field and then also, you know, being a health at every size identifying practitioner, it does often feel like sometimes swimming upstream or having to do a lot of labor to educate um, sometimes other clinicians or just explaining ourselves. And it can just, yeah, it can be really nice. And I think not just nice, but important to have um, community of people that, that get it. Um, and yeah, and with, you know, regard to our clients, I think, um, you know, having, especially working in private practice, I find that, you know, when I'm um, connected with other practitioners that I trust and can refer my clients to, it helps, you know, with, it, it just makes the collaboration process with a client so much easier and, um, and, and better. So, um, yeah, so the ways that I, I try to do that, um, well, the, one of the main ways is I'm, I got early on in my private practice career, I got involved in this organization called IFED, which is a funny acronym for what it stands for. It's the International Federation of Eating Disorder Dietitians. And um, I found that especially going from working in like a very kind of yeah, multidisciplinary collaborative atmosphere in a treatment center and then going into private practice where at least when I first started, it was just me like flying solo. Um, I was really craving having more collegial connection and support. And so I actually had reached out to um, Jessica Setnik, who's one of the co-founders yeah. of IFED. And um, she had mentioned the organization to me and I reached out um, because I remember I had gotten an email from her saying like, oh yeah, there's a listserv involved in, in as part of like the benefits of this organization. And so I emailed her and I was like, oh, can I join the listserv? And she wrote me back and she said, oh, well, the listserv doesn't exist yet, but you can start it if you want. Oh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, so I actually started it um, like with like the, from the administrative point of view, I kind of helped um, get it off the ground and inviting members. And that was like one of the earlier ways that I found that I was able to, um, yeah, just like start making connections. And it actually now I'm not involved in the same way as a moderator. I'm just like a regular member now, but um, it's a, a super active listserv and people are always posting, you know, questions or looking for resources and, um, it's been, especially earlier on in my private practice days, it was a really, and continues to be a really um, valuable resource and, and way that I've made connections. Um, and then we actually started, or I, I guess, yeah, I started with the help and support of Jessica, um, a New York City-based chapter mm -hmm. in um, for IFED. And so basically every few months, um, I will help organize get-togethers for eating disorder dietitians or wannabe eating disorder dietitians and um, we'll, you know, grab a meal. We'll do like a networking dinner. Or sometimes we'll have a featured guest or speaker um, give like an educational talk. And I try to, you know, keep those happening every few months. Um, but I also, you know, do it based on when I have the time. Yeah, <laughs> um, sure. Yes. And yeah, and that's actually, that's been going now for like six years. Um, wow. it's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's really helped me, you know, yeah, build my network and also just, you know, gain confidence in a different dimension, like outside of the, um, the office and, you know, feel like, um, I'm gaining some 
you know, be able to contribute to the field also in a, a way um, outside of that, like one on work, one on one work. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I the first time I saw that IFED acronym, I laughed. I'm like, this is the perfect name. <laughs> um, and so yeah, it's just funny fun. to me that someone else thought that too. Um, and that listserv is amazing. If there's anybody listening who is in eating disorders, I learned so much from that listserv. Um, it, it sometimes sparks questions that I hadn't thought of yet. And mm-hmm. then I find I'll go down like a random research rabbit hole. Um, but someone brilliant always replies with, Oh, here's this article or, Oh, right. It's so mm-hmm. cool. Um, yeah, I am, I don't know what it, would I be called a creeper. I don't, post <laughs> but I read everything. <laughs> Um, so it's amazing. Um, that's funny. Cause I was going to say, I was going to ask if you were on it. Cause I don't remember seeing your name pop up that much, but no, that, never. That makes sense. you're more of a, an observer. I hey, am an observer. That's, yeah, that's great. Yeah. I, and, um, actually there was a question this morning I thought about writing. I just haven't formed it yet. Um, to be honest. Um, and there are some powerhouse, um, eating disorder dietitians in New York. So those are probably some great dinners. Yeah, they, they are. Yeah. And they have been, have been. And I think too, just the in-person meeting, meeting up, you know, whenever possible, um, is just, is so valuable. There's something about, you know, connecting in person and, um, yeah, that, that just, I think can't be replaced when, um, you know, in like an online forum. So I think both are, are great. Yeah, I think that's so true. It's, um, I find even though the non-diet haze, um, like population of people practicing, for lack of a better word, is growing. We're so spread out all over the world. Mm -hmm. We don't get this opportunity to sit and collaborate and talk. And um, like, I even find, I don't know that many people in my area that do the same kind of work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but just to be able to meet, um, with like-minded individuals is so powerful. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Makes you feel, I, I, yeah, I don't want to speak for you, but I know for me, it makes me feel way less alone. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I find, um, so I that's why I jump on a plane at least once a year and go somewhere. Um, but it's, and fortunately I have the privilege to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I sometimes just sit in the rooms in awe and go, Oh, like I've read your social media and now I'm listening to you talk in real life and it's the same. And do you know, like those kind of conversations of just sitting and talking, it's very powerful and very cool. And then I always leave thinking I can change the world. So <laughs> exactly how you'd want to leave a yeah. professional yeah meetup yeah. meetup workshop yeah and it's funny you say that cuz when i think about like the co- the workshop that we met at i definitely remember feeling that way yeah and like feeling that way about you and just you know how cool that we're now talking on a podcast you know after yeah. um yeah having that meetup in person cuz i think i might have even told you when i met you in person the first time that i think i know i had heard of your name and probably had read your blog post before but now that you know we had made that in person connection there's just something yeah something special um that clicks and now i think of you every time i watch the raptors so. oh well thank you <laughs> you'll have to come up and we'll go to a game <laughs> that would be sick yeah 
but lots of planning because tickets are hard to get. Yeah, especially now. <laughs> yeah, because you know you win a championship and all of a sudden no one can get to a game. Yeah, <laughs> my kids Gosh. are very sad about that. Um, well, it's funny that you say that because I was um, so the major highway that I drive on is called the four hundred one, and you're often it's you're often stuck on the 401 in traffic. Mm -hmm. And I was driving home from work and sitting in traffic, like la la la, listening to Food Psych and listening to you. And, and they, um, it, it came up about you playing basketball. And I literally was in my car, like talking to you going, I didn't know you played basketball. Not <laughs> I should have known this, but I'm like, I didn't, how did I not know this? And having this very fascinating conversation with you while you're having a conversation with Christy Harrison on my, <laughs> through my speakers. Um, but it was interesting because when I was listening to that conversation, besides like going, Oh wow, I didn't know this. Um, it was, I found it interesting the way you kind of were able to talk a little bit about your uh, life as an athlete and how that really influenced your career. Um, and I was just wondering if there was kind of any of that that you wanted to share before we ended today. Yeah, sure. That's so funny that you were having a faux conversation I in the car. Now we can have a real one. I know. <laughs> now I can actually ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, I think, you know, when I was thinking about this question, I was thinking about it more from the context of like how, um, like what sort of, um, like maybe skills or experiences being, uh, a collegiate and professional athlete, have afforded me that I've taken into my practice, um, particularly as like an entrepreneur and private practice owner. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I might be answering the question slightly different than you were asking, but um, a couple of things I've thought about, you know, I think one thing that has always been um, something that has helped me in basketball. I mean, for one, um, I've never been, <laughs> it might sound weird, but I don't think, I never identified myself as like someone who's particularly athletic, even though, oh, I mean, really? I'm tall. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm tall and, you know, I have some athletic, you know, skill or gift or whatever you want to call it. But um, I always prided myself on like having a really strong work ethic and working really hard at my craft and not because I wanted to, you know, like, I feel like it was usually pretty internally driven. Like I just enjoyed the process and I think really recognize like the relationship between putting effort into something and, and having an outcome mm -hmm. while those aren't the only factors. Yeah. I think, um, that, you know, kind of drive is w now that I'm like more in a, um, non-athletic professional setting, but still very much doing something that I love. I think that drive still applies and it feels similar. Um, like I find myself, you know, just doing quote unquote work things, even <laughs> when it's not like work time or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I think like that kind of feeling of, um, uh, just like putting, putting time and energy into something that you love, um, mm -hmm. has applied to, yeah, to now. Um, I also think like just basic things like time management, um, you know, has always been something that I've, kind of had to be yeah. decent at in order to, you know, balance all the requirements of being like a student athlete and um, yeah, learning how to like say no to things so that I could prioritize, you know, the goals that I had. Um, and also this might sound maybe counterintuitive, but like valuing rest. Um, I 
my, I actually credit my dad with this because he was always harping on me like after practices to stretch and he would like take me into school late if I didn't sleep enough and like wanted to make sure I was getting enough sleep and, um, and yeah, would, would kind of make sure I wasn't overdoing it with my training. Um, mm-hmm. and I think in that sense, yeah, I think it just kind of helped me, um, you know, now like as a, um, yeah, like a small business owner and private practice person. I mean, um, it's, it's helpful to know kind of when to, you know, when to push the brakes and, um, when to accelerate and, and kind of know what I need in that way. Um, so yeah, I think being an athlete, um, you know, maybe in a totally different forum, but, but kind of have being quote unquote successful in that realm does require, um, you know, into yeah, intuition around that stuff. It's interesting that you say that. Um, both my children are in sports and they're young, but my daughter does gymnastics. And um, it's, I often say that part of the reason I love that she's in a sport is her time management skills. She mm-hmm. and her ability to be like, no, I need to stay home tonight and sleep. I'm a little bit tired or I'm starting to get cold. Like she's for her age, like just like more in tune with herself in that way. Um, than I think I ever was at that because we've done a lot of talking about rest and, and making sure, you know, you take care of yourself in that way, but it hurt. I want her time management skills. Yeah. Um, I'm a little jealous of them. I'm not gonna <laughs> well, maybe uh, she can teach, teach you a thing or two. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's funny. Cause I, uh, I also had a brother who, a younger brother who, um, played basketball also competitively in like in college. And, um, you know, I, I wonder too, like how much of it is the time management stuff is genetic versus learning oh, yeah. with him. He's like, I mean, he definitely has gotten better. Um, like as an adult now, but, but, um, my, I remember my parents like joking, saying like, I always had a planner with like stickers and color coded, like organization. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he would have like papers, like splayed all over the place and uh yeah but it, it seemed like it it worked for him whatever system he had <laughs> so um, I identify with your brother there yeah <laughs> I'm not gonna yeah. lie <laughs> <Everyone's different. laughs> well my my daughter loses her water bottles everywhere um and I'm always like see she can do everything else but she can't keep track of a water bottle oh. uh, so there's always something right <laughs> yes no one's perfect no no <laughs> yeah um was there anything else that you wanted to chat about at all today or? Um, hmm, I think nothing major is coming to my mind. Yeah. I think we covered all the, the questions. Yeah. yeah. The big things. Um, oh. But yeah, I just, I, I love the, you know, concept and um, premise of your podcast and. Oh, just thank you. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm honored to have been a guest and. Um, yeah, to have met you and oh, thank you. Oh no, I've I you're on my list of people I have met that I now need to talk to. So I'm so excited. Um, we'd like to end the podcast with a question of what is nourishing you now? Yeah. Uh, well, firstly, I just I love the word nourish because I feel like it hasn't yet been corrupted by diet culture. Totally. Uh, I'm going to be yeah. so upset when it does. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We're holding on to that one. We're holding on. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think, let's see, I, I can divide this question up into professionally and personally. So I'd say professionally, 
um, yeah, my clients and my associates are always nourishing me. Um, just, you know, the work that this job entails, I feel like is nourishing in and of itself while also energy depleting at times. But, um, yeah, I, I generally feel very nourished by this job. Um, and then personally, I, I would say, well, on a cellular level, um, I just ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So that's nourishing my insides right now. Um, and yeah, also random, but I just saw twice Jagged Little Pill on Broadway. (gasps) Is it good? It's amazing. It's like the best Broadway show I've ever seen. Um, and yeah, I figured you might know about it given I know Alanis Morissette is from. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. And that album came out like in my middle of my teen angst years. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's (laughs) perfect matching in time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's phenomenal. Um, so yeah, next time you're in New York, I, or anyone who's listening that is in New York, highly recommend. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I'm, now I have to plan a trip. I think <laughs> I was trying to convince the kids to go see um, the Harry Potter one, but now maybe I'll just leave them at home and go by myself. Yeah. 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 This probably isn't kid friendly. So no. or maybe oh, no. you could take them to that and then go to this yourself. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm sure I could find a babysitter. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, so if people were interested in finding you or if anyone in New York happens to be listening and wants to find you, where is the best place for them to look for you on the internet? Yeah, I'd be happy to connect. Um, I would say best place would be my website, which has links to my, you know, email and social media accounts. But my website is www.lknutrition.com. And yeah, all my social handles and stuff are on there. So probably best just to go through that. And yeah, we can chat. So cool. Well, thank you so much for joining today. It was so awesome to talk to you. And, and the offer stands, if you come to Canada again, because I wasn't available last time you were here, we will definitely go to a Raptors game. I would love that. Yes. I loved Toronto so much slash the greater Toronto area. So I'll definitely yeah. be back. I'm just far enough outside that I have to like plan a little bit to get downtown, but I totally do it. I get it. Yes. Rain check. Yeah. (laughs) Well, have a wonderful rest of your day and thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Nourish Circle. Don't forget to like us on iTunes or Spotify and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. (laughs) 